Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Movies in a Podshell podcast. The podcast which takes two great films and a theme and couples them together. I'm joined, as always, by who the French call Les Incompetents. But anyone else, could, everyone else can call him Johnny. I need to tripped over my words there. Ouch. What an intro. Do you know do you know what the intro is? What it's referencing? Does it mean I'm completely incompetent? Do you know what the quote's from? No. Oh, okay. You're at the French call Les Incompetents. It's oh, um, um Home Alone. Know, Home Alone, well done, yes, well done. Yes. yes, straight in there. Yeah, straight good, there. good, good. I mean and, and this week's episode, if you hadn't guessed it, isn't about Home Alone. It's um it's we we're doing France. We're quite simply it's an episode about French film. Uh, well, Two French films, not the the medium of French films. We're not trying to cover it all in one episode of a podcast because, funnily enough, we've not got the breadth of research there, have we? So, and John, like, just just a quick one, actually. I hadn't planned this. I've not planned this at all, by the way. So, what what would you say your favorite? Um, where where what your what's your favorite continent of world cinema? So, like, when you think about like you f- like where outside of outside of English speaking films what is your favorite do you think what do you think has the high okay what's your favorite if i being... has the highest quality oh, if i'm being completely honest the most i've seen is probably is spanish which is obviously from links with harriet and the fact she can speak spanish so stuff like um alfonso Cuarón used to do the orphanage and that kind of thing is that right is okay. it alfonso yeah, yeah, Cuarón? yeah, yeah. yeah? Um, um, I so don't I've... think it, I don't know if it's Quaron, but I know sorry um and then pan's labyrinth etc which was del toro Gilema del toro yeah so <sighs> I think in my head, those are the ones that are coming to mind that I've seen more more of. We did do some French cinema at college and uni, but that's a real stretch for me now. So I don't know. I've, I've had a bit of a hit and miss relationship with with foreign films. I mean, there's some I really get into and some I've, I've not enjoyed so much. And I mean, parts of like the second films that I really enjoy because they reminded me of when we watched M towards the start of the oh, pod. God. Similar vibes. M, and M was, just... yeah. Well, episode... Maybe as young as episode two or three, so yeah. Okay, you I, what, sink your teeth into that. I tell you what, I I do think, and this is probably not an uncommon opinion, but if you look at the camera work and the mise en scène, etc., of the French films, especially the second one we watched today, and compared to what Hollywood was doing at the equivalent time, I think it was miles ahead. Personally, Blown out of water. I, I I believe so, but I think it's more so because the whole idea of like auteur theory kind of came from like the singular vision right and the director having that singular vision and i don't know if in hollywood that was the case i think hollywood's always been more of a case of lots of people um saying the best things to make the most amount of money whilst i think in other uh, countries it's been an art form such as in france and i think Truffaut with a link film today the second film i think very much felt like a singular vision and some of the some of the way it was choreographed was like a modern film for me as stupid as that sounds for something from what year did we say it was from 1950 1957 i believe yeah 1957 i'm, I'm pretty sure uh 1959 sorry 1950 so there was yeah, so, anyway so yeah french new wave that's why because the so yeah we'll, we'll talk about french new wave after but that that's that in in the 50s that's when french new wave kind of began and um it was when sort of uh directors were allowed full creative control over their own work um super interesting i mean i think for me I it's really hard for me because it's definitely a, a tie between four countries, which is I know that's a massive cop out, but I would I would always talk about Korea a lot, like because I love Korean film. Um, John, this is such a highbrow podcast when you're drinking red wine in my face. 
um yeah so <laughs> two french films and a glass of red wine on the go oh yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah guys come on pause the pod go get yourself a red wine doesn't matter what time of day it is um yeah i, I would always say that korea was probably my favorite um my favorite country but then but then i think um france has has just got ridiculous quality Italy's got ridiculous quality, like, um, and also Japan and China. I was thinking I, of you and your, Ita- your you and your Italian slashes came to mind when when you went to say anything else. When I'm talking about quality, <laughs> maybe not so much. <laughs> exactly. but, um, yeah, I just yeah. There's 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 many many. Uh... Um, so for those who of you who are interested, um, the orphanage was actually directed by J. A. Bayona. Um, oh, oh God, completely got it wrong. Did he? Didn't he go on to then do? Like Hollywood films, like yeah, Jurassic, Jurassic Park World Two or, or something. Jurassic he World, did Jurassic two, World. He did the Impossible, a monster called the Impossible. Yeah, monster yeah, not calls. Seen it. Yeah, you, you never Greta. seen the Impossible? No, is it good? Uh, I saw it at the cinema. Yeah, I liked it at the time. It's quite. It's one of those. It's a bit. Um, at that time, Clint Eastwood had done a film of a similar topic. You know, when like everyone goes to a historical event and then like yeah. loads of people do it at once, and it's a bit overblown. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, I guess we'd better start talking about what we normally talk about every every single week 29 episodes in i can't quite believe we've been going this long it's ridiculous but yeah the long um, and winding road lo- yeah exactly there's a song in there somewhere so i just want to say that i firstly i was watching I've, I've watched quite a few things i've been getting really back into anime so i have been watching quite a lot of anime at the moment which is like just ridiculous yeah um so i've started one piece um i've restarted bleach which is one of my favorites ever uh so yeah but film wise i've not watched a great deal which is surprising um so i did watch uh francis ford coppola's the outsiders did i mention that on the last part can't remember but i've not seen it okay cool so i mean one of the main reasons i watched it was because yeah it's francis ford coppola um but at the same time patrick swayze's in it so oh match made in heaven friend of the show patrick swayze um we we love it i love him to death um so yeah so he's he's in the outsiders it's a kind of like a teen sort of like a teen gang film like young young gangs um it's 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 really good um and basically there's greasers versus the the preppy boys kind of thing something bad happens and then yeah i don't want to ruin anything for anyone but it's really really good um I gave it I gave it four stars out of five. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it's just a proper redemption story. Um, when when I'm thinking of type, like themes for the pod, I'll, I'll just go and I'll try and think of as many like links as possible. And redemption is a is a a theme that I've thought of, but we wouldn't do the Shawshank Redemption because it's too old. I was obvious. literally going to say you're immediately going to go for Shawshank then. No, the, uh, quite the opposite, John. I I wouldn't go for Shawshank because it's too obvious. Um, I then watched a film from 1960. Um, a Martin Scorsese favourite, introduced by Scorsese on the Blu-ray that I have, a film by Michael Powell, also really famous for doing The Red Shoes. Um, it's a film called Peeping Tom, 1960. I would say it's pretty risque for 1960. It is, uh, yeah, it's basically about a very, very psycho-esque premise. Um, it's about a guy who works at a film studio, uh, it could be you, John, um, he takes racy photographs of women, um, but he's also making a documentary um, on fear, um, which involves recording the reactions of his victims as he murders them. Wow. So it's, it's really good. Trippy. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe not for you, but 
I don't know if it's from 1960. I reckon I'd be okay. I think I. I think you'd cope. enjoy the cinematography, and I think you'd enjoy the the characterization. Um, so yeah, and and I know I definitely have watched other things. I just can't remember them at this moment in time. So, and I haven't logged them, which is weird for me because I'm I'm always I'm an avid logger. Do you know? So since we've last on the pod, I've not i've been in isolation so i've actually not been able to do much but oh I, god i forgot I, to ask you no, no no it's fine i thought i'd watch so many films you know what i actually didn't because to be honest i didn't feel great with the first few so i didn't watch a lot or do much but to be honest i thought i'd watch so much more and then i have watched stuff and then as you said not logged because i've just been anyway um yeah. what i have watched and i do remember watching i think we've potentially talked about it before i think you've got it on blu-ray have you watched lifeboat by alfred hitchcock 1944. Um, I don't think it's in. I don't think it's in my Alfred Hitchcock box set. Okay, so it's um, one of the first that I know of of Hitchcock's where it's all set in one location. So you know, like when we watched Dial M for Murder, and we said, "Oh, it's basically all set within the apartment," and then you you had like two locations, and it kind of builds around those. This is literally just in the one location on the lifeboat, and it's kind of watching people deal with the uh, situation and watching tensions rise and. Yeah, don't know. It's got all those Hitchcockian elements early on, and like um, he just knows how to build the tension up. But it was it was interesting watching that because that's one of the earliest ones I've watched, um, apart from I think Saboteur, which was it'd probably be the Lady Vanishes if you've seen that. I don't think I have watched Lady Vanishes yet. It's in my set, but I've not watched it. So I watched that. Um, you forget that he was making films in the 30s. I know. He was, wasn't he? But what's Crazy. really interesting with Hitchcock was um, he was kind of disowned in the in England because when it was the war, he didn't agree to make like the war propaganda films. Like if you were a director yeah. in the war, the idea was you would make your propaganda films for your country. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do that and he w- went over to America. So the Americans didn't like him because they thought he was a pompous Englishman. And then the English didn't like him because they thought he'd gone over for money to America. So it was like yeah. a really interesting dynamic, which is why a lot of Hitchcock's work was like critically not accepted for a long time. Um, until yeah. pretty much towards the end of his career, really, until, until you know, the 70s when, to be honest, I, I think the work by that point had kind of dropped down. I mean, we reviewed Frenzy and we enjoyed it, but it's I not... Lo- I really loved Frenzy. The more I think back on it, the more I really enjoyed it. I still really want you to watch Marnie because Marnie's kind of, for me, like the last great one but it's kind of a bit of a, a mess at parts but kind of that's why it's interesting do you know what i mean like there's just sometimes those films where the mistakes and the errors make it as interesting as actually like what's great about it um, yeah i think it's, i find it difficult because of all the stuff you've told me about him and tippy tippy hedron yes it is it's it's yeah a lot of the things i've come to light in recent years make it difficult but it's still worth a watch i, I would recommend yeah no it. yeah I will, I will definitely I, w- I will watch it it's, it's one of those where like you know because i've if when I say I don't have that many Hitchcocks left to watch, of course I do. Yeah, but in terms just... of the the stellar ones, like the really good ones, that's it. I've, and, and I've the... maybe got like two left to what I've got. Um, the one with the the jewel thief was it something about jewels? Oh, I like Diamonds? that. Um, to catch a thief. thief, I think to it's catch a thief, thief, right? Yeah. So, See, I don't think, weirdly, like, the setting location I love and the actors in it I love, but I don't think it's a great Hitchcock. Do you know what I mean? It's like one of those where there's lots of elements I like about it. I remember it. you saying this, yeah. Um, it's got Grace Kelly in it, and it's got, um, I forgot his name. James Stewart. No, the other one, uh, Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Okay. And, like, they're great, but kind of as a Hitchcockian film, it's not my favourite one, personally, but it's yeah, also... No. It's just so diff. It's quite different to what he normally does, and that's kind of the appeal. It's yeah. I don't know. Anyway. So I think I'm worried. I'm, I'm basically I'm worried that I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the last great 
couple of his films and then it's, then it's all over. I don't have any more Hitchcocks to watch. Do you ever, do you ever, do you ever savour those last couple of films I, from directors? Honest to God, when I watched Vertigo and I'd seen Rear Window and basically like say like like top five Hitchcock, I remember thinking to myself, I know I've kind of peaked and because I loved Vertigo so much, I kind of knew nothing would ever displace that and it actually made me so really... sad, isn't it? It made me so sad because I love watching the back catalogue and finding on these new films and sometimes... Uh, I've forgotten the name of it. There's the one I told you about, which is one of his early ones, where it's the uncle comes to stay with the family, and it turns out like he's a wrong one. Shadow and, of a Doubt. Ooh, it might be. I can't remember. But anyway, fa- that's well, that's his favorite. That's, that's the one that's his favorite, right? Yeah, that's mm. it. And some of the cinematography in that is gorgeous. And like that was such a nice, pleasant surprise when I watched that back because I watched that after Vertigo. But in general, it is hard to kind of think I've watched what I think is the peak one. But we keep on. We keep yeah, finding stuff. It is, it is sad. Um, yeah, and it, so what, have you, what else have you been watching then? Um, a lot of TV stuff. In terms of other films, you are going to crucify me. I actually watched for the first time and since I saw it at the cinema. What am I going to say? Right. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're going to say. The, the dramatic pause from Jamie in the right, I think, means no, it's on no, the right I'm just waiting. I thought he was going to say, like, uh, I watched for the first time and then be like, The Matrix. No, no I, I'm going to hold up the cover to Jamie to oh, get his okay. reaction. So we're not going to say what the film is yet. You can guess from Jamie's reaction what film it is. You ready? Okay. Why? Why have you bought it as well? Um. So, just so you know, it's Avengers Infinity War. It's one of those where, on the pod, where some people seem to think we hate Marvel films. I want to make it clear, I don't hate them. So I thought... He's, he's bought it. He's I, bought it. I bought it, but also... And to be honest, I, I don't hate them either. No, no, I know, I know. I'm, I'm half, I'm half I joking. Dislike the way, we dislike the way they're received. So I thought, do you know what? I keep saying how much I love the Russo Brother films. I've not actually watched this since it was released at the cinema. I saw it twice at the cinema, but I've not seen it okay. since. That was years ago. So I'm going to watch you like, it. You like, you by like the way, Marvel double money by watching their films I twice do. at the cinema. So I'd had a lot of spare time, so I thought, that's what I'm going to do. Um, I still thought it was really good and probably the best one of the, maybe up there with Civil War of those films. Jamie's looking at me think... in absolute disgust. No, no, no. But... I, I, I certainly think Infinity War is the best one uh, yeah, yeah, easily, easily best, the best, the best one. Just because of the, I think the stakes and the ending is fantastic. It's the Empire Strikes Back of them, and let's be honest, Empire Strikes Back is my favourite Star Wars, so I'm all in for those kind of stakes. Yeah, but then it's and then it's a shame that they just it all just gets undone in Endgame. That's that's my issue. I know. And the other film I watched as well, um, because I I wanted to make myself feel better, I actually watched uh, Justice League Zack Snyder's cut. Again. again but okay. i didn't watch all of it and i'll tell you why friend of the pods four and a half hours long because <laughs> friend of the pods pb i yeah. promised him that i would watch it with him on the projector okay and then i started it and i was getting really into it and then i was like ah, i don't know if i'm gonna sit and want to re-watch this again within the next right. like do you know what i mean because if yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah. it's like four hours or whatever it is it's a big commitment so I was like, yeah, i'm not course, gonna yeah. massively go into so it so do you own it then oh god yeah it's a oh, lovely, have you got lovely it? Blu-ray. It is gorgeous. Um, um okay. I'm interesting I'm, I'm, though, because you, you're I c- in the market for a 4K player, aren't you? Uh, yeah, but not for the projector yet. Only okay. for the anyway. Um, the only thing I would say is when I watched it on the stream on Now TV at the time. If you remember, that was the only way we could access it. In yeah, the UK, it was. Yeah, yeah. I remember some of the CG like people were complaining about, and I said, "Oh, it doesn't look that bad." And on the Blu-ray. I am a bit more critical, like it's not quite as polished, but on the whole, the parts I did watch, I still loved it, and yeah, okay, nothing else to add. Uh, in terms of TV stuff, I've watched quite a lot, so I finished Yellow Jackets, which I actually really enjoyed, 
bit annoyed i've kind of blitzed through it because now season two is quite a while away yeah you're gonna forget in you i know and it's you one watch of so much more tv than me do you know i didn't used to for so long what it is is um like i paid for the entertainment pass and now tv so then suddenly you get a real kick up your backside for this program's going off in like two weeks time so i yeah, have I to watch it worth. have to yeah. like have to get on with it so i kind of like slammed the yellow jackets and what i really like about yellow jackets is the fact of it hints it like you can read it in two ways you can either say this is happening and it's all without giving spoilers like okay it's all yeah, no spoilers so i want to watch it myself okay yeah it's it's all it's all as it seems or there's another interpretation where it's not and that, that the whole interest okay. is, is like seeing how that is and how you view it and it's really interesting because again friend of the pod bb has got two mentions already he's finished it at the same time and we were messaging all the time debating that and it reminded me of when i first watched lost and i used to be like right, okay. what does this mean like what's the what's the black and it smoke turns out what's it that? All means nothing well yeah with that it did but with this my only worry is they said they're going to do five seasons and I, I don't trust anything with five seasons now i just kind of feel like i'm three yeah, and done at max i agree i just did you um did you watch the follow-up that the people from lost did um the no so the people from lost i'm sure Flash i'm sure forward. it was them no no so um and and anyone who's listening if they they don't know it then or if i've got it wrong i'm really sorry it's the show when everyone disappears so basically like um lo- loads of the population just i think it's called i can't remember what it's called like but now um, you've said it i i remember the trailer i know the the premise of it but i've never watched it but i know yes, i do know what you want about that's supposed to be really good like it's supposed to be fantastic um, okay and it's funny because everyone's like what's supposed to be fantastic what and i'm like i can't remember what it's called but it's um it's a really it's a it's a big show search it's, damon lindelof i'm guessing is probably the trail to get to that program right and yeah. he's done another show recently which has been really critically well received so it's not all doom and gloom um, yeah. Um, the other thing I've, I've raved about you for on this podcast enough times, so I'll stop. And apparently, Jamie's told me now people think it's overrated, and I completely disagree. I think it's fantastic. I think if you can find me a TV show which has better acting, cinematography, choreography, and like just the the sheer. Would you say like? You, would you say every time you watch it, you just feel euphoric? God, I wonder what you're going to say. Terrible. It's the kind of program that I sit and watch, and part of me is just, I can't watch things normally. I always try and break down how is this made, how it's lit, where's the light, what's that? And I find it really hard to switch off, and that's one of the downsides of my job, because I'm a videographer myself, in nowhere near the same league as these things I'm watching, by the way, but just for context. Oh, but but guys, but guys, he's really, really good, to be fair. (laughs) And I'm not even joking, like, he's really good. But, you are, you are, you are, you are a, a top tier in in terms of your field. Thank you. I'll, so yeah, I'll take there you that. go, everyone. But but what I was going to say was, then when you watch something like Euphoria, it makes you feel miles away because of just how like how well it's done and the imagination behind it. It's non-linear narrative, like the way it kind of it builds on so and so's thing in this in their head, so we're going to visually show it, and it just kind of seamlessly jumps between all these crazy ideas. And I just think it's so great. I've also yeah. blitzed through an entire series. Oh, and it's always in funny. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, which I blitzed through in about two days. Not even. It was horrendous. I've started watching that. I've started watching yeah, it. new series or or just in general. Um, I've started watching it from the beginning because. Oh wow! Yeah. Like so, I'm listening to their podcast. They've just started releasing. Not promoting the podcast, but they hate like the first season because they just say they haven't found their voices yet, and it's really interesting because yeah. the whole first season they were like there's good elements but they just really weren't into it and then it came later um, i didn't think it's weird because i never thought you'd be into that kind of humor so 
then you are friends with me. Yeah, my sense of humor is really weird, though. So, like, I'm not really... I always say to you I'm not into comedies, but that comedy I really like because people read it on face value and go, oh, my God, they're so offensive. But the whole joke is they're playing terrible people and the joke is, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. realising, like, why they're terrible people. While yeah. so many people just watch that and go, oh, my God, like, this is horrendous. But they don't... And- get the underlying meaning i find yeah. that humor clever and i think for an american comedy it's by far the smartest thing like i've seen of those that kind of style for me yeah um do you find it laugh out loud funny like do you sit there laughing out loud or uh not so much the first season i find it's more like awkward humor which they leaned into a lot because they were inspired by the english office that was their big thing they yeah. wanted to emulate was in the later seasons they kind of said we're not playing this straight anymore we're playing it as like we're over the top characters and this is a sitcom and i think that's when it kind of finds its rhythm some of the episodes i find stand out um you haven't got to it yet there's an episode with a musical which is fantastic which they put on um charlie day is brilliant um there's an episode where um they have to organize who gets someone's will and danny devito's calling this character i can't even repeat half of it because it's always there's just there's so there's so many bits like even I remember showing certain clips to my parents because I thought they'd just find random bits of it funny. They wouldn't find the whole thing funny, but bits of it. And they're just like, there's a great debate. There's an episode of like uh, God versus science. And they're like trying yeah. to just decide. They're just, yeah, it's great. Um, so sorry, yeah, Ran, I've watched a lot of TV as you've probably, probably guessed yeah, I mean, from yeah, I've, there you, you really have. And I haven't really, yeah. But, and the, anyway, I think, well, we have, we have talked a lot already. We've also watched two great films, which I think we should probably talk about. Two great, great films. I mean, when I say two great, people consider them both great, but I only really enjoyed one of them more so. But okay, okay, let's get into right. it. Right. Well, I guess yeah, let's get into it. So um, yeah, I, I'll. The first film we watched in our pairing for France was 2019, Celine Siama, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. L'homme intéressé par ma fille est milanais. Nous partons là-bas si le portrait lui plaît. Il a épuisé déjà un peintre avant vous. Que s'est-il passé Je ne sais pas. So, John, so I watched this. I watched this uh, in 2019 when it came out. Um, 2019 probably could be considered one of the greatest living years of cinema in my lifetime for sure like um this was a film when so i just so i just got a cineworld unlimited pass this year i got it gifted to me and i was so buzzing um and i was watching everything every single thing um i watched portrait of a lady on fire um after hearing crazy rave reviews about it and i it it definitely shouldn't be my type of film because it is a period drama, a love story. It's slow as hell, but I fell in love with it, and I was I was absolutely enamored with it. I'm so um, like I, that. It completely I've blows seen it my mind. It, I've seen it, it three times now. It honestly staggers me. Like we're usually very much on the same page with films, but we you've listened to the podcast. You've heard very occasionally we don't agree, and I've read so many reviews for this film. I've watched essay videos, studies, everything to try and see what I'm missing. 
you just know about more about more than me about and, it. And I just don't get it. Like I, I, I watched it. I didn't hate it. Like being clear, I didn't hate it, but just I didn't love it. And like I kind of feel like I am in the minority by far from what I've read. It staggers me. Now I can't even say it's a pacing thing because I watch slow things. You know, I watch a lot of slow stuff. And to be honest, like I didn't think the pacing was that slow. I just kind of felt like I didn't. I didn't fully buy into their story, and I don't know if that's because I, I just uh, right. no, no no let me be, um, no no but you, no, no, no it's you, fine you, yeah carry on carry this on. is what the podcast and then I'll describe what I, the film's about I do you, actually yeah do you know what give a synopsis first before I start rattling off what I didn't get on board with because maybe yeah. that would give context when you, yeah 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 you've just said something that I that that is the opposite of how I feel about it so um and this is good this is I'm glad like because this not doesn't happen very often on the pod um so the the film is basically in uh, the 18th century. Um, it's an isolated island in Brittany um, at right at the end of the 18th century. Um, and a female painter is sent to the island to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman living in in a house that we actually never see, which is bizarre. Like, I've, I realized this today when I was thinking about it. it we, we don't really know if she lives in a castle or a house or, or what, but... The there is a kind of an eerie suspense throughout, isn't there? They're kind of like yeah. it makes it feel so remote, and it also feels like it could be the start of a horror film at points. Just absolutely, like the yeah, a folk horror, a folk horror style film. Yeah. yeah. Um, the so yeah, and basically the the film is about um, a woman who does not want to be painted because she's going to be that painting is then going to be sent off to a man in Milan, and he's going to decide whether he's going to marry her or not. Um, bizarre things going on in the 18th century um she doesn't want to be painted she doesn't want to go her sister has actually committed suicide because she doesn't want to she doesn't want to go so now it's been left it's been left to um uh marry uh heloise sorry and so this woman is challenged with painting um heloise in private in secret and so heloise isn't supposed to know and it's just about this relationship that forms between them um John, uh, so yeah, John, I, I wasn't sure how this would fall with you. Um, it's not a film I would recommend to anyone, actually. I couldn't recommend this film to anyone for the reasons that you you probably don't, don't like it. So go for it. I So, okay, so there wasn't anything in the story I didn't understand. So I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't I didn't get the story. I yep. got the story. I just kind there's of... Not much, there's not much not to get, is there? there? There's not much not to get. I kind of feel like, in general, and I think Jamie said it himself too. Like, I'm not massively into period dramas, and I, I, I joked with Jamie when, when, so the WhatsApp was kicking off after I'd seen this and said that I, I didn't enjoy it as much as Jamie oh, was expecting. It was so kicking it, off. Wasn't it, it, it was quite funny. But what I was going to say was, I think it's is it Cosford Park or Gosford Park? I watched that Gosford Park. Oh, uh, when I was about. 12 or something and i remember absolutely hating it with a passion like <laughs> it's an amazing cast by the way you should look it up but i just kind of was like the wrong age wrong point wrong time and i kind of in my head then was just like i really don't like period dramas and it's a shame because i've watched i don't like them either i hate them I, no i know but i'm just i'm just saying in general i do have an adverse effect to them anyway but that aside jamie kept talking about how amazing the cinematography was in this film now I don't know whether I'd overhype my expectation. I'd read all this about, oh, they've used 8K. Great, they've used more resolution. Fantastic. And they kept saying about how they wanted this film, although it's an um, 
about the 18th century or the end of the 18th century. They wanted yeah. it to feel like a contemporary love story. And what they yeah. mean by that is the dialogue isn't trying to use old English in any any way or old French, however you want to say it. It's not yeah. using, you know. But also they shot it to look modern. And what I mean by that is they said, now what I would have preferred, and this is what they didn't do, is they shoot it on 35mm which is to make it look like an older film of the time period. And the director specifically did not do that because she didn't want it to be... She said that would look too timeless, but when she says timeless, she almost means to me like it would look like any other film of that period, which is what you said to me, which is another generic film. Whilst having it shot in 8K digital in this kind of more contemporary look, it's to make you feel like you can relate to the characters and their situation in that time, despite because it looks like today. And I found that to be honest, See, jarring. I, like that, didn't I? I I think for me that is the the main thing that really took me out of it because everything's just kind of it's got that digital look. And they say they they shot it so they had like really high. Uh, so when you have a camera, you have dynamic range. So like the the more expensive the camera is, for the simplified version, the higher the dynamic range. That means you'll know it is HDR. Well, yeah, much, yeah, that's, that's an element of it. So basically, it means you get your brightest points and your darkest points. Now, normally what you do is you expose for the middle and then, like, someone's face, and then something might be blown out and something might be in shadow. But what these cameras do now with the highest dynamic range is they can basically keep everything within a level of nothing's overexposed and nothing's underexposed. You kind of get this perfect yeah. image. But it's actually can be quite a um, fake-looking image, like, because in the human eye, you don't see like that. And I think that if the style of it's quite saturated, it's kind of, it's supposed to be super colourful to kind of take you into the world. I felt like the colouring shouldn't have been like that. If anything, the colouring should have been desaturated to agree and represent the mood of like that main character. And the film, for me, if the, if it got warmer throughout the film, as the relationship grows or... Do you know what I mean? I feel like I had oh, all look, these... Maybe you should have been the cinematographer no, for the I, film. I, no, no, no. I'm just saying all the ideas in my head of like... No, that's a really... How cool, it would, I love that idea. How it, would, love it. how it would work. And then in my mind, I'm like, okay, maybe then I'd agree with the contemporary feel. But I just found it like... It reminded me a bit of... You remember when you saw Justice League for the first time? This is gonna, I'm going to get an absolute car crash for this. You know Joss Whedon's Justice League when someone had obviously colour graded it away it wasn't intended to be to be shot. So, like, they over-punched, yeah. like, the saturation and the highlights. And it made it look a bit fake. This looks far better than that, but it's that kind of... It's been tampered with. It doesn't look authentic. Whereas if it was shot on film, it would have had to have been exposed a certain way and lit a certain way and would kind of feel more what we're used to seeing as... Uh, I want to say normal, but that's a really weird, stupid way of saying it. But do you know what I mean? It would it'd be what we're used to seeing. What we're ex- yeah, yeah. So but this like, was pushing like the- boundaries. But in terms of shot selection, like there's some amazing shots with mirrors and and like um, the actual um, when she sees her in the hallway, she sees like a ghostly figure. That for yeah. me was kind of horrible. That freaked me out to be honest. Like when they're just like really? the light, yeah, when uh, the light flashes okay. on and she's in the all white dress and it's kind of anyway, yeah. So, yeah, I have really mixed feelings on it, but it's it's I I didn't hate the performances or anything like that. I just I just didn't relate to it at all, and I think something about it I just it just didn't click. And it reminds me with when everyone used to say to Jamie, "Under the skin is amazing. Under the skin is amazing. You've got to watch Under the Skin." Yeah. And then I remember he watched it, messed me, being like, "I don't understand this." As in, not he didn't understand it, but just didn't it just didn't click for him. And it's, I the, it. it's the, one of the only times on the pod I've ever had that. I mean, 
Big Lebowski didn't click for me, but I had big reasons why I didn't like it. I much prefer this to Big Lebowski. But just sometimes, like, it's just a feeling and I just can't, I can't shift it. I, yeah, anyway, sorry. That's a long spiel. No, no, no. I'm I'm really happy to hear your thoughts because I guess when, when everyone loves a film so much, it's nice. It's nice to hear someone that you trust give their reasons why that they it may not have worked for them and and that's it like whenever we talk about films like we we very rarely say we very rarely slate a film because it's i think that it's really the one thing that i don't agree with is when someone's like yeah yeah two out of ten like one star i'm like right okay cool um how many films have you made um because they've probably made none and the the amount of like heart that goes into a film and time and the amount of people working on it it's it's quite I, like i don't like when people sit with films on in the background and then rate them and review them i'm yeah, like the, okay, cool. the amount of craft that goes into even something that you might think is terrible like there's so yeah. much that goes into it and exactly. maybe the execution wasn't quite Except right and may- bruce willis is starring lately <laughs> and maybe like the execution wasn't quite right or or it didn't agree with you but it's you know there's still even like the not so great looking stuff has an amazing amount of craft and it makes you appreciate even more when something is of course and also like with this film so like i think i've i've not read otherwise like i'm guessing all of this is in camera as in it's all what shot is what's there i doubt there's any digital trickery apart from the color grade itself i wouldn't have thought i wouldn't have thought no but Um, yeah it's definitely yeah and there's so much to be said for that for not being tinkered with and actually just being like so yeah for, yeah, what I was saying was it's it, it's I say it's nice it's nice to hear what you think about it, um, because from someone you trust. But at the same time, because when you hear something that's constantly like loved and everyone's just got good things to say about it, you kind of just gets a bit generic in the end. And like I I thought when I watched the film, I should everything about this film tells me I should hate it. I should not like this film because it's a lot of the things that I dislike. Um, for me, I think the reason why I liked it was because I found that the pacing in general sort of and the relationship building and the performances, it all just and and the intimacy and honesty of every single thing that's going on, it's all so believable. Like, and, and that's why you, when when you said, I think earlier on, you, you mentioned you said that. Um, I didn't. You, I, it didn't. I didn't believe it, or something. Did you say you didn't believe it? I think I said like I just didn't buy into the. You did, I, right. I, I, when I say that, I think what I mean more so is it's just it's something that I just couldn't relate to. Like on any on any level, I just don't think. I think that was probably part of the point, though, because I'm I even then I would not have been worried of someone doing a portrait of me and shipping me off to Italy, right? So I don't know. Like I think it was. I think what was educational was there's a load of things at that point in history that I know nothing about and actually like the explanation of what was going on and stuff is really interesting because you know how else would you know about it otherwise yeah the premise the premise is the, the premise, premise is really interesting and um, and like the actual journey of the painter like actually how she puts the portrait together never mind the actual love story but the fact of just putting the the portrait together is incredible but I just I don't know what it was about their relationship like you watch it unravel and become what it is and in a good way so that like she starts off as such a closed character and she doesn't want to be painted she's lied to their whole relationship's based on a lie they start you know falling for each other 
and then as the relationship grows the portrait gets better but it's kind of tainted because she knows that once the portrait's complete and she's done her job that's the end of their relationship so there's kind of like you've got like the Romeo and Juliet kind of tainted love you know it's going to end in tears from the off like there's no there's no happy ending here yeah. so I know why you buy into that but I I don't know I don't know what it was but I just it just didn't do it for me and it's it's so weird though because we always said when we did this podcast that we were never going to come and sit here and say like just trying to appease people by being like oh yeah we love this and love that because if we did I tell you now we'd have far more listeners because Jamie would say nice things about Marvel, <laughs> Marvel we'd never, yeah, no, yeah. Aside, but like, the one thing you'll always get from us is honesty like, is, is nice will, yeah, so when Jamie messaged me and I, and I told him and like I, I knew he was disappointed but I just said look like it's just one of those where and it's funny because the more I watched, the more people would just be like, "Yeah, it's it's like a ten out of ten. Like this is this is one of the best." And and the more I heard it, the more I was just like, "Is my brain just wrong?" <laughs> you know, like the more you like second guess yourself. But it just it just didn't click. I tell you what was interesting about it as well, though. There's no score, which uh, James, I think, I don't know if you talked about it today. We talked about it on WhatsApp. I'm going confused. We, we spoke about it. We spoke about, we spoke it, about uh, it two two nights ago on WhatsApp. Fine. Yeah. And essentially, what was interesting with that was. There's a scene where they play music together and she talks about how the music makes her feel and the, um, let me get the names right so I don't mess this up. So is it Heloise? So she, she says she hasn't heard music before, right? And then she only hears it when Marianne's playing it on, uh, it's not a piano, it's like a... Yeah, no, I I don't know what it is. I've never seen it before in my life. But she plays, I think, his next set of Vivaldi's five seasons, isn't it? Or it's something like that. No, I, so I've, I've got no idea. Four seasons, sorry, because I don't think there are five seasons. But anyway, and then... <laughs> <laughs> great. Uh, there and, isn't. And then at the end, we hear... We see Heloise at the end watching an orchestra when she's got her new life. So she's got her children. She's got her Italian man. And Marianne's yeah. there, the painter from the other side. She's alone. She's alone. She's alone. And, well. we, and we watch her listen to an orchestra and she loves it. And we know she's, well, I interpret it as she's thinking about the love she had with Marianne. It's flashing it back. Because music does that, doesn't it? Like, if you listen to a song, you are Memories, transported yeah, back just, yeah. to, like, you know, whatever. Yeah, so, sure. yeah. I the So, sorry, getting into it. The use of score or lack of was really interesting. There's Also, it's really creepy when all the women go to the beach. So... So the character Sophie, who, as Jamie mentioned, is is like the help essentially. She looks after Heloise and Marianne. She is pregnant and she goes for an abortion. She goes down to the beach where there's um, a load of ladies and they're singing a song. And apparently the lyrics are something like "You can't escape." It's yeah. like, the, and it's kind of a is it a metaphor for the fact of they're kind of slaves to men in the sense of they are literally childbearing or are the help. In that and it's, time, it's in, time it's frame. in the credit sequence as well. I think. Yeah, it's song. quite it's quite creepy, and it's, it is. It reminded me not quite the same, but the birds is a film like an old Hitchcock where there was no score. It's just the sound of the birds, but it's kind of like a musical cue, and like the chanting with that kind of you know we're all we can't escape, we can't escape, is a similar kind of vibe where it's it's got some kind of musical element to it, but it's just used really sparingly, so it makes it really effective when it is used is what i'm trying to say yeah yeah no 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 definitely um i mean i don't know where to go from there really apart from i was so i was just going to tell you I, I i the score is one thing and the sound design is one thing that i do love about the film that it's we the rawness the, the film feels raw and it feels like it reminded me 
and this sounds crazy, it reminded me of Stalker a little bit in terms of the, we follow the journey of Marianne, the painter, traveling to this rather big house. Um, and it almost feels like real time. Like we're watching her travel on this boat and it, the boat's rocking. The camera's rocking with the boat, first person. And it just, you feel like you're on that journey with her. It's not rushed. She's yeah. got a purpose. It like it reminds me of that that scene in the really famous scene in Stalker where they're on the the tram tracks and it's just chuk, 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 and you're watching them on this journey and and it literally is an an, an absurd amount of time of film where you are watching these men travel and and that that reminded me a lot of this is that the russian sci-fi one we were on about a few weeks ago yes oh god yeah that film's got sequences where you just watch them for long periods of time yeah and a bit with the rain you know when they're underneath the archway and it starts to rain and then the sun comes out and thinking it just goes on and on and on yeah i so with with this film i think it it there's a rawness to it and there's the you really when i when i looked when i went to open my blu-ray again because i do own it on blu-ray I was like, well, how how long is this film again? Like, how what like what time is it? Like, how what, what time have I got to be in bed for work? And I'm like, it's an hour. It's 120 minutes. I was like, it's two hours. I was like, I don't remember it being two hours. Now I realize why, and it is and it is because it. I don't think it feels over long. I it it's a journey of no. this painter and the the love and the relationship and there's some scenes in this film that I'm just like jaw dropping. The, the the dialogue is quirky and funny. Um, one of the probably the my favorite scene in the whole film, and, it, and this sounds really weird, so take it take from it what you will. The the relationship is blossoming between Marianne and Heloise, and there she's come clean about um, why she's there, and she's there to be she's there to paint her, and they 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 do fall out short for a short period, but then um, there is a scene where they um, kiss. And it's a close, a, a, a real, real close up of their lips kissing, and to the point of where you see the strings of um, spit coming from their mouth. Right. And yeah, <laughs> you do, you do. You see the saliva. You see the the bits of saliva coming from their mouth as they part. Right. That scene there is probably the most intimate scene I've ever seen on on a film on film ever well like, there's it's, a, a cheeky bit as well when they're taking the drugs and it looks like she's inserting it somewhere else but it's just into her yeah. armpit and they were like oh that yeah. was a joke for the audience and i was like yeah that was quite funny but but you like in that moment of that kiss you feel you feel like you shouldn't you feel like you shouldn't be there like, yeah it's, you're, it's you're... so intimate and it, it's so like it, it's not something that would ever be achieved by a male director and that moment there like i've not felt like that in a film before where i'm, I'm sitting watching i'm you just feel like you you just shouldn't be there like it's it's that pure and it's that real and that is i think honestly that that scene is crazy and it sounds crazy cuz i'm talking about saliva part in people's lips blah 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 it sounds gross but the the build up to that point and the the build up of the sexual the tension catharsis. right cuz there's there's so yeah. much before it and also like Heloise at one point talks about her sister committing suicide and we think she might cuz the first time she goes for a walk she just sprints to the edge of a cliff and you're yeah. thinking she's gonna go. I was getting vertigo f- uh, vibes at that point. I was thinking of Bell Tower, um, but just like, yeah. yeah, of course, yeah, because she because she's heard before this that 
her sister had jumped off the cliff. Yeah, because she didn't want to, as you said, she didn't want to be married off. So she she did the same. She she did that. So you, you worry Hillary's going to do the same. And up until the point when the ending came, I did still think that might be an option for her if she genuinely just didn't, do you know what I mean? Because she loves Marianne that much. She didn't want anything else. There's I did like, wonder. Hillary, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, I always call them like immortal lines. Like, um, Hello, I think Heloise says to Marianne, I feel I felt the liberty you spoke of, but I also felt your absences, and that's the very beginning of Heloise kind of trying to tell Marianne that she she likes her, um, and yeah, like the the an, another my, probably another one of my favorite scenes in the film is when um, Marianne comes clean about about her painting Heloise, and so he sh- she shows her the painting, and it's hilarious because she says. Um, Heloise starts criticizing it, and she, uh, she says, um, "I didn't know you were an art critic." Um, th- that's yeah. So Marianne says to Heloise, "I didn't know you were an art critic," and Heloise bites back and says, "I didn't know you were a painter." As in, like you kept it from me. Like yeah. all of those little quips. Like I love. So with what Celine Siam has done is, Dutch. It's, it's it's based in late 18th century, in a pure modern way with the dialogue, the way it's shot. Um, I took the when i said to you john like when i when i i hit back at you when you were saying as it's like like you can hear me slapping my hands because i'm like that passionate about it when i hit back at john's uh comment of i thought the cinematography was all right i was like for me the 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 reason why the cinematography is good and and again it's been said a million times so i'm really sorry for anyone who likes this film that's ever watched anything about it but you can freeze that film at any point and it could be a portrait. It could be a painting. And I think that's what Celine Sciamma was going for. Yeah. And and as I said, my the framing wasn't the issue for me. My issue is more so with the grade and and the colour and look of it, which I've gone into pretty yeah. extensively yeah, at the no, start. No, no. I but I think that. that for me was... that. For me, I, I don't know. I It's so hard now because, I, in truth, I think we are spoilt now with the level of cinematography that we have... I think digital's changed the game in like what people can achieve. So I think we see so many beautiful images now, but it's hard to know what's real anymore because so many things are tampered with or things are digitally removed or whatever. And kind of the beauty of when I watch, I know in the old films they had matte paintings. I know they had other tricks up their sleeve, but there is something I will always long for with the photochemical process of it all being within camera because to me that's just so impressive because there was no other way to do it. Um, And now... All rod puppets... But we're so spoilt with things like I don't know everything now is is digitally tinkered to like some level. Like even even when we watch Mad Max and like Mad Max has got so much practical stuff going on, but there's so much hidden CG work. Like the sky is, is a com- it- it's a sky replacement. It's not the sky. It's not a color grade of the sky. It is so, sky replacement. And so all what do you prefer things. then? So as as so as as a film fan, as a cameraman, as as whatever. Like what what do you prefer? Do you- because I agree, like we we do see basically we we the only time when we don't really see it are like low budget indie films where you don't really see much sort of digital enhancements or that kind of thing anymore. What what do you prefer? Do you prefer a Mad Max or do you prefer the the old school? Well, like I mean, even 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 Star Wars, they actually used models, real models. What do you know? What if I'm being difficult? I like, I like admit- both. Uh, yeah, I like, I like both. What I like is the best... There's a video that you did the rounds and it was like 
people say CG's bad. CG's not bad, it's just you can't tell when there's good CG. If you go for a David Finch film, the amount of CG that is in there, that's hidden away, and you can't tell because he integrates it so well, and because he has a background in effects, I think it looks great. And it doesn't. Yeah. it's never the point of the story. But what I take issue is when, like, we've just talked about some superhero movies at the start, they get away with being a kind of a a visual minefield at times because of the content matter so that it can kind of get away with having all those things and having all the cg and, and yada yada i don't know like at the core if it serves the story i'm okay with it but what i don't like is like everything when it's ramped up to 11 all the time do you know do you know what i'm trying to say so like i yeah. think if you if you've got a film where it's used but like in terms of like photochemical versus cg stuff i think things look undoubtedly look better now i think models carry a weight and look great i love the way christopher nolan integrates them with like interstellar etc but i just think that you know i just get frustrated when a lot of things now are all about the spectacle and that's when we get into the argument of like the thrill ride and what's the cinema experience about and stuff and like I mean, maybe I'm not helping the cause because I'm complaining about this film, which everyone loved and probably flocked to the cinema to see and and gave good reviews to. And you and you going to see and you seen Spider-Man see, twice, I, so, so, twice. I have. So I don't know. I, I'm conflicted with it, to be completely honest. I don't know. It, and and it's do you know what? It's going to be really fun to talk about the next film as well because hmm. that's a really good um, example of 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 what looks good and what how you don't need anything in 1959. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it did disappoint me that you weren't as high on it as me, but this has been a, the, the conversation we've had is great. Like, because everything can't be great all the time. No, it's not always sunshine and roses. Unless you're a Marvel fan, then everything's a 10. Um, even they don't like Eternals though, right? Well, I think some of them do like it. I mean, I've not seen Eternals, but... Anyway! It's one of the ones I do want to look forward to. Anyway, right, so... um, With that being said, John, we have a question about the film. Yep. Views by Quinn writes in, and he says, Is Portrait of a Lady on Fire the best romance film of the decade? Or, if not, what beats it? So, John, I mean, um, of oh, the decade. Of the decade, wow. Um, I'm going to be honest, I don't really know. I don't know enough. Um, I don't really know of, like, what what would we call the decade? What, what, what's the 2020s called? Or like the, before that, like uh, the... Tens, I'm guessing. Okay, cool, cool. Here we go. <laughs> I yeah. don't know, the yeah, tens. Yeah. Okay, right, so let's... La La Land. Ah, it's in Excellent. there. Excellent. Good one. Okay, I, cool. What, one right. of my favourite love stories. Right, cool. Right, Depressing. so I've got some love stories here. I've got some love stories here. Um, Go, listen. You can, t- you can tell me whether, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're better or worse than Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Right, so have you seen her with Joaquin Phoenix where he falls in love with yeah, AI, who is yeah, Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is it better? Um, I enjoyed it more. Controversial. Okay, Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro. Didn't see it. Did you not? No. Oh, it's excellent. Oh, it's excellent. Right, okay, okay cool. That's one of the best-looking Blu-rays I own. Um, oh. Right, okay, so then we've got um, Passengers. But that's with, not... That's a creepy-ass I mean, love story, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Let's it be is honest. Creepy, yeah. No, no, actually, yeah, sorry. By the way... Passengers is creepy. Um, just, just, to let, just to let the audience know, 
I read it off Google. Didn't I don't th- I don't particularly think it's a love story, right? Um, and then we've got like Crazy Stupid Love, which is one of my favourites. Actually, is that twenty tens? Um, it's twenty eleven. Yeah, Crazy Stupid Love, great film. That's the one with Gosling and Emma Stone for like the second time. One of my favourites. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's a great film. Um, and then we can, I mean, The Love Witch, which actually I really love, but Not I wouldn't. Uh, what about The Amazing Spider-Man 2? Greatest love story of all time. What tragedy and heartache. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I do. Uh, look, I'll be honest. The love story wasn't the issue I had with this film. Yeah, so. That's 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 what I'll say to that. And, and what I'll say is that I can't possibly decide um, if it's, if it's the best love story of the last decade. How do you classify the best? Like, is the best, like, a tragic love story as in they don't end up together? Because this has a similar... This reminds me of La La Land because essentially the whole build-up is spoilers for La La Land. You watch this whole relationship grow and develop and see how it all goes and you imagine a life for them together, then they can't have it. It's battered. And, so, and like, pieces. most love stories like that, like Romeo and Juliet, classic example... Others, you know, you, you're just constantly you're hinting at something that can't be, and that's kind of like where the the romance comes from. I mean, yeah, and I, I guess well, when Harry met Sally, it was, was maybe one of the first kind of. I say one of the first. I mean, it was, yes, yeah, there was many, 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 many before that. Well, I say forbidden love. There's probably a forbidden love aspect to this as well, because in Lady of Portrait of Fire no, no, One, it is. like, no, of it's, course, it's, it's, it's of course it's for, forbidden love for obvious reasons. Um, they're absolutely not supposed to be together yeah. at all. Um, I, I mean, so some of my favourite love stories, um, Sing Street is is a, a romantic film. Um, one of my favourites. Dirty Dancing. Um, Dirty Dancing, <laughs> which wasn't in the 2010s. That's true. Um, that's very true. Edge of 17, which I think was after the... Well, no, it must be in the 2010s. Um, one of my favourite sort of like romantic films. I would say in terms of pure romance... And the way this is done, and Silver Linings Playbook was another one that's just come to mind. That um, is a which brilliant film. One of my favourite, all-time yeah, favourites. Love, um, love it. That's but one of those what, films where it was marketed as a straight comedy. Like, there was no kind of hint the fact it was a drama. Went to see it, it was like, this is amazing. This is so much better than what I thought it was going to be. It was I advertised as such a it. bad rom-com. Anyway, yeah, sorry. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, f- to conclude, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, for me, I guess the... The, in terms of the romance, the, the romantic part, if that's what you're asking, the way the way it's done, the the way Celine Siama has directed it, um, and the way the the two leads are with each other, and as I mentioned earlier on, the the intimacy and what we what we get to watch and get and get a sort of we feel like we you never see those parts of people's relationships ever, um, so getting to see it on screen. I, th- I feel like it's the closest I've seen. Like I think it's pure, and um, the f- a film that the f- a film that I often compare it to. Please forgive me. Uh, the Handmaiden is like a, a male director's version of a, a love story, and it's shot in that way. And and the way it's shot, the cinematography is very very similar with the bright colors, the paintings, that kind of thing. But then but then you get the the contrast in the intimate scenes that are just way more definitely you watch it and you're like this is definitely shot from a man um but yeah so in terms of pure romance yeah it's got to be up there it's got to be shot through the male gaze rather than female gaze exactly yeah exactly and we we went all this review without talking about the female gaze now 
and I didn't want to talk about the female gaze because it was, yeah, it, it's that for this film. Yeah, people talk about it a lot, but um, it's true. Yeah, yeah, I feel good about that. I, I've, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Right, John, I mailed to I, I mailed you a film because why did I mail it to you? Jamie decided that the Link film would be basically a film which is impossible for anyone to to have access to unless you buy it. Because um, well, you say unless you buy it, it's 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 not available. Like unless you get I, get a Blu-ray of it, right? The Blu-ray is not available, John. Oh my god! I As in the Blu-ray you're holding in your hand right now, which is mine. I can't wait to talk to you guys about a film you're not going to be able to see. It's out of print, so so I did make a boot. I kind of made a boo-boo, but I kind of didn't, right? Because the film we're talking about is Francois Truffaut's The 400 Blows from 1959. Le français, on a toujours des lettres à écrire. Tes parents disent que tu mens tout le temps. So the reason why I picked this was because it is an iconic piece of French cinema and I hadn't seen it. It's a Martin Scorsese favorite who is my favorite and I've heard so much about it. It had it recently had a re-release in the cinema in the UK, very short run in independent cinemas. I was like, right, cool. So I'm, I'm just going to go rent it. I'm just going to go rent the 400 blows. No, you ain't. Um, and anyone who's listened to this, if you've somehow managed to get the film other means, well done. I To locate this film, I had to find it on the internet. It is a, who is it? Studio Canal. Is it a Studio Canal release, John? You've got it with you. I believe it's a Studio Canal release. And what I was saying was... Fusion the Media this- Sales? No, it's not. Show me the. Show me it again. Uh, Hold on to the studio. I'm sure it's Studio Canal. It's been uh, super bright. No, no, the side. Do you want to see? Ah, artificial Eye. It's Artificial Eye. Right? Oh, right, so, okay. Artificial Eye released this, um, which is a UK European Blu-ray label, um, and it's now out of print. So generally, what will happen is our Blu-ray label will buy the rights to a film to to distribute that film, um, remaster it, do whatever they want with it, put extra features on it. Artificialize one of our like Blu-ray boutique Blu-ray labels for those of you, for those of you who aren't into um, physical media. I know I know some of the listeners are very very into it. So I just couldn't find it anywhere, and I was like, right, this must have been bought up by someone recently. So that's the reason why it's not available. So what they've done, the, the people that have got hold of it are now remastering it again. So it's no longer with Artificialize; it's going to be with someone else. So I eventually located the Blu-ray secondhand, still cost me twelve pounds. Um, but I found it. I got I d- it. I did think there was a little knock on the back of the case, which you would not normally do when it arrived. <laughs> exactly. I-, I was like, "That's not very Jamie." Not no, having that. Psycho. Yeah, psycho. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm glad you noticed that. So yeah. So um, John was in. So the, the idea was, I'm going to buy the Blu-ray. We're going to watch it together, right, John? When are you available to watch the 400 Blows? Yeah. I've got COVID. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. Great. So I'm like, I had to watch the film post the film to him recorded delivery yeah and um which worked great so that's fine it did work great yeah lucky you eh lucky 
I'm, who's getting reimbursed? Not me. <laughs> for spent a total of about fifteen pounds on this film um, for John to watch scot free delivered to his house. Um, so yeah, and then so the day after I bought it, John, I did find out that it is coming out in between April and June um, from the BFI. So the British uh, filming... It'll be on the streaming bit on Amazon then. You know, on the Amazon BFI stream, no? It, well, it might be, but it, it's it's being, it's getting a new... Phys- I'm fuming. It's getting a new physical release, remastered. Um, to... Probably with new special features. But I thought the I thought the Blu-ray looked excellent. To be fair, I'll tell you what they're probably trying to get to do is, you know, in old tv shows when you have a transition or a fade you know a transition or a fade is coming because the quality deteriorates and yes, then it I asked fades you about down this, didn't I? and like the reason i know this because i'm a massive fan of star trek the original series and no matter what they do to those shows no matter how many remasters they've had they can't really fix the issue of the quality degrades so much because the amount of film to go through the processing machine like the quality would have just degraded as they did it um and because yeah. let's be honest it was cheaply made at the time so even like with films like the 400 blows which we'll get into a synopsis about shortly like when there are fades in the film or fades to black or fades across um the quality really deteriorates but the color timing really the color timing changed so like in star trek what would happen is it would get darker like the gamma or like would just it would just be noticeably more contrast and darker all of a sudden and in this it was the same thing so i imagine if if bfi have got the time and money to do it they'll try and match it up a bit more the bfi are great like uh, i've got many many bfi films they've got like their restorations are good and like it's because if we if we lived in london town we'd be going to the bfi to see those screenings when they oh god yeah like yeah i was so so as as listeners know we we live in birmingham in and around near birmingham um we so i heard they were releasing the 400 blows and i was looking for it in any cinemas couldn't find it anywhere so it's, it's obviously in the bfi south bank in london it was also at the Mac, the Mac Cinema, um, which is in Birmingham as well, near Cannon Hill Park, which I just found bizarre. Like, because you would think that there would have been more bigger cinemas putting it on, but then I guess you've got you've got Spider Man in twelve screens. To be fair, months. for fellow Midlanders, there's not many brought this to the pod, but the Electric Cinema is reopening, isn't it? In it's open. Or, oh, it's, it's open. open. So, it's open. It gives us hopes that we can see things like this because they used to do really cool screenings for older films all throughout well, the so, year, and they have been. So they, they've so actually shout out to the Electric Cinema in Birmingham. Um, so they've it's the oldest working cinema in the UK back opened. Um, they have played a film that we actually covered on the pod a few weeks ago, The Apartment. So they've had The Apartment, um, which is which was selling out, which was great. Um, they're also doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, which we have covered on the pod in a, f- a previous episode, the Mockingbird Cinema, another independent cinema in Birmingham, they've just shut down to create a second screen. So this is great. So we've, so they've they've closed for a little bit so they can sort of be- get a bit more space. And is that the one in Digbeth, make- Mockingbird? Yep, yep. Ah, okay. Yep, so I'm super happy about this. And and these are the cinemas that play the independent films. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So the 400 blows, the hardest film to get hold of ever. Good luck. So I hope you get it. Yeah. Before we go any further, Jamie, do you want to give us a little synopsis of what 400 blows is about? Naughty boys. Um, so <laughs> the film is, the film is about a, a young boy from Paris called Antoine Duanel, which I I think that your post was addressed to. Um, life is it was. so. 
<laughs> yep. So he is quite hard done by, like quite naughty, um, surrounded by adults that don't really like him. Uh, his parents are pretty neglectful. He basically spends his day with his best friend, Renee, um, trying to plan for a better life. Uh, one of them, one of their schemes, like one of their schemes goes a little bit awry and then they end up in trouble with the police um, and then lead into, I guess, even more unsympathetic authority figures. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's a story about it's a coming of age. It is a coming of age film. It's a coming of age film about a 12 year old, which is kind of crazy. But there we go. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Ant- so Antoine, had you heard of it before? Um, no, but weirdly, I had seen the opening sequence, and I'm not sure why. Um, I went to film school. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, prob- well <laughs> pr- probably, though, because why else would I have seen it? But yeah, um, <laughs> it really reminded me of, now you're watching it, the opening of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is the shots around Philadelphia Eagle Stadium, you know, when they're driving yeah. around in the car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it reminded me of that completely yeah. off topic, and there's in no way any link. Um, yeah, so I love this film, and I was really pleased I loved it, because I thought Jamie might kick me off the podcast if i sent him another review for something never uh, i never did happen. not like no so um what i really liked about this film was uh and i think it's it's black and white it's 235 anamorphic which is great looks it, great it looks really cinematic it looks fantastic but what's weird thing to say is although it's really cinematic in the framing it actually kind of felt at points like you're watching a documentary because the acting was so realistic it doesn't feel staged which I can't always say of Hollywood films that I've watched from that era. This is 1959. Uh, it's not Hollywood either. And it's not Hollywood. But um, Antoine Doinel, is that correct? Got it. Uh, he he is like the lead. He plays the 12-year-old son and like he misbehaves at school and he's we realize like the reason it kind of the film unfolds to show you the layers of like why he is the way he is so you, 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 you kind you of think at the start and think like oh you're just a bad egg why yeah, are you playing he's, up he's a little he's a little rascal yeah and then like rag. he gets home and then you basically see his mum. the impression is like his mom doesn't really care about him we later find out that his mom wanted an abortion never wanted him he was only still alive because of his grandma and exactly the dad kind of has a relationship with him but also ditches him every weekend to go to car club or something or did to, to go to like automotive automobile the dad, racing the dad seems really nice at he, the beginning he does um and then he has a teacher who has no time for him and it's it's a shame because you're basically just watch his life unravel and he essentially wants to escape and make a name for himself so he wants to live on the streets I thought his best friend was fantastic, that little actor. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Rene. Uh, yeah. And what or, I... Or Ren. What I love in this film is, like, there's loads of little sequences of just, like, like elevated with humour because it's quite a serious topic. It's basically yeah, about, it is, like... It is. Um, you know, I wouldn't go as far as saying... Well, I suppose it is child abuse, isn't it, at points? Like, he absolutely. is... Absolutely. You know... <laughs> But it's just actually the fact of, like, he's still a kid and watching him do things that a kid would do. So, like, there's a PE teacher who takes them out of the school and they go running around Paris and there's, like, an over-the-top, like, crane shot following these groups of kids all, like, slink off one by one because they don't want to be in the PE lesson. Thought that was great. There's another scene where Antoine and his best friend are running around by a church and they say, um, they what do they say? They call him the lady or something. 
they make a joke to the priest about calling him like good day uh, madame or something that's it yeah, and he's yeah, like yeah. oh you you sons of devils and it's just there's a real nice underlying cheeky humor to it all so it's kind of it i don't know it's i just i just really it's, liked it's it it's not yeah it's not dark enough it it takes away a little bit of the darkness because of because of the the tone and i think the yeah, tone is quite I think it captures like that childhood, like the way you do kind of fluctuate from being here's the childhood innocence, which is reflecting the score and the actions, like what they're doing, to the opposition of like his is really pretty grim life growing up and like how hard it yeah. is. I just I thought it honestly was kind of delightful, which sounds really cheesy, but I just I just really delightful, did. you know. But honestly, it was just it was a delightful I, I, little film. I think I messaged you and I just went, "This this was excellent," and it just was. I just it just all clicked for me. The pacing for a film from 1959 was actually quite snappy as well. Like it takes its time it's, in it's, the scenes. It's what but... 100 107 minutes. Uh, I always remember these. Yeah, scenes. yeah, um, and. I can't see how long it is. 130, one, yeah, one hour, 40 minutes. But yeah, it's the scene at the end, interestingly, is from a is from Jean-Pierre... Oh, I'm going to butcher this, so I'm not going to try. Antoine Donnell's character, The at the end, he's in an institution, isn't he? And he's been interviewed and he talks about... For like, delinquent, yeah, young delinquents. Why he is the way he is and why he behaves. So basically, the reason he ends up in prison is because he tries to steal his dad's typewriter because he wants yeah, to from like pawn it yeah. so he can have money to live by himself. And essentially there's a scene where you, it's just like a shot of him looking off camera and he does the interview and we hear his responses. Now this is actually his audition tape. I'm guessing Jamie already knows the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, and uh, Truffaut wanted to get it included because he was so happy with it. So what he did was, he used a series of fades to make it look like a really long interview where you're seeing parts of the conversation, which is quite a clever idea. Yeah. But there's also kind of like, at the end of the film, uh, Antoine actually escapes. He he makes a run for it for freedom because one of the other boys says, you know, life is about living and you can't just... You know who I'm on about, the, the kid who's run away and comes back a hero to, to the to, the, to the delinquent school. Yeah, yeah, and he, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something to the effect of you've got to live your life. And he said it's worth the, it was worth the trouble for the freedom I experienced in that time. And earlier in the film, Antoine's talked about the fact that he's not, um, he's never been to the seaside, is that right? Or he's never been in the sea? There's like a, there's like yeah. a whole thing about it. The film is beautiful. Uh, and the end of the film is just this kid running and running and running for a long time until he reaches yeah, yeah. well we don't know where he's going and he reaches yeah. the beach and he runs into the sea he doesn't die just to clarify <laughs> but just the fact that he he he's made his dash to freedom and in inverted commas he's made it it's just really really touching scene like that shot of him on the wide shot when he's at the, at, at finally at the sea and then he turns yeah. and looks to camera, like George Lazenby did in On a Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, and, I managed to link that. Get, and, get a grip. Um, and um, yeah, he don't looks... ruin this beautiful, <laughs> this beautiful description of the film, and yeah. you end up with that. Yeah, there you go. And then yeah, he looks at camera, and there is a very weird freeze frame and big zoom in, which has been done in post. I'm not sure what that was about. That shot's um, like super iconic. The one, the one where the, so the, at the, end, the to my soul. Yeah, the the ending where he's running into the sea, um, yeah, and the when he like kind of looks into camera, that's that's a, the pretty that is 
the iconic scene from that film. Whenever you see a, a screenshot of that film, that's that's what you'll see. And yeah, the, the, man, this this film. So- I was going to say I think it's the cover, but it's actually not on this. The the cover shots from the school, like the child acting in this, is fantastic. And I mean, I. I think it's the best it's the best child performance I have seen. I'm on record saying that now. I as we know, I like to criticize child, <laughs> I like to I like to criticize child actors, Harry Potter. Um and I also like to praise Home Alone, Macaulay Culkin. I, and I would I, and I have been on record saying that Macaulay Culkin's the best child actor I've ever seen. I would I would go back on that and I would say that this is the best child performance I have ever seen. The, all the kids in the classroom though are brilliant. Like all the bits when the teacher's teaching the class and like he's got his back turned and they're all up to no good. I, it feels like a documentary. I know it's not a documentary, but it feels no, no, like no. they're the, just the being stunning. wind-ups. Yeah. The, you, you, there is a reason why this is a cornerstone of French cinema and an absolute travesty while it's why it's not available to everyone at all times. What so the hell? In in When um, Antoine's at home, you know he has to take the bins out every night. And you see, like the process of he his bed is in the doorway, isn't it? Basically, like the entrance. I've mentioned, room. yeah. So you, you're talking about. All, I love it how you're you are basically saying all the things that I've mentioned that I've I've written down. Written down. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Talk about that then. But what I love is there's a scene where you see his routine. His routine is he takes the bins out, and when he goes, he does his to, chores, doesn't he? he, does, he, his he chores, does his chores. Yeah. He's got lots of chores. And when he takes, yeah, basically do everything. And when he takes the bins out. It's great because there's a shot where it follows him going down the stairs and it's like a tracking shot. And I thought the movement of the camera looks so far ahead of what I'd expect from a film from 1959. Like every angle yeah. and like the choreography has such intent. It's all character driven from his perspective is the way I looked at it. But just like I just yeah. hadn't really seen that or I hadn't expected that level of it reminded me, and I said to Jamie, and like people say, you always talk about David Fincher, but it is kind of like that style of being so hyper focused on your subject matter and like every making the camera movement actually matter and like not just moving the camera for the sake of moving <clears throat> Michael Bay, but actually doing it because there's intent behind it and explaining that intent. And it's literally, it, you're, you're shadowing him so you are part of his life, is the way I looked at it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was just, I, it was yeah, just I great. Agree. Yeah. There, there is, there is. Quite often, I, I, I do watch probably more old films than you, don't I? Um, I'd say so. I, like, yeah, I, it's something that I, I, I try and. I guess I grew up watching all the action films, all the action films, uh, as many comedies as I could, and so now, as an older person, old, I say older. Not that old, you know, thirty-three. Um, but as 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 a person that is a little bit older, I now am delving back into this type of cinema. So, so for the podcast, yes, I, this I like to think of the podcast as a journey for all of us, like you, John, um, me. So when I'm picking these, the reason why I pick these films is because I'm like, right, what is an iconic piece of cinema? Like, blah blah. blah. It could have been a complete fail, but it, I was like, coming of age. Um, it's got. All of it's French New Wave, like all of these things. Like Truffaut is um, a very important director, so let's do this. 
Um, my favourite director, Martin Scorsese, swears by it. Let's do it. Do you know, there's one scene I haven't talked about which is really important as well, which is when Antoine skips school for the day because he... Why does he actually skip school? I'm trying to actually remember. Does he just want to sky for a day? So, like, because he wants to, yeah. He, he just nicks some money off his oh, off his mom and dad to go for a day out. And, and he, he sees his he sees his mom kissing another man. And that's yeah. that's part of the downfall of why he misbehaves and the dad doesn't know. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's just really sad. But I just think... But- Antoine yeah. just like it's not over dramatized like it's not him bawling and crying and lashing out and like punching stuff it's just very much he does things on a whim and makes really stupid mistakes but it's all very believable because you just think he doesn't know what to do so he's just kind of I suppose he is lashing out but it's not in like a completely over dramatic no it's not he's not smashing it's not windows smashing or windows or and stealing cars or... and yeah no he's it just all doing feels little... a little bit cheeky rather than like outright yeah, he's doing bad. what a, he's doing what a, a naughty little 12 year old would do apart from when he steals a typewriter i mean breaking into the office and stuff probably not so much but the typewriter is the... probably really expensive about this you bet you basically stole nick a mac my, he just stole my imac yeah um, he's, he's pretty much nicked the mac yeah, I yeah. yeah yeah it was just brilliant and I think the as I said the score all of it's just kind of it just whisks you away to like a different time but also parts of it felt really timeless which is a really dumb thing to say when you watch a black and white film but just kind of stories about family and relationships are are timeless I suppose and just, I, I think yeah. I said to you like I think the reason why this this film hit me pretty hard like was because um I, I related to it in many, many ways. Like not like, and that that sounds weird. Like not like he stole lots of typewriters as a child. <laughs> yeah the 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 relate the relationship with his parents and the I I knew people like this. Like when when I was growing up in school, like I was from like a pretty quite a rough area in a rough estate. Like and some of the things that were going on, like the relationships they had and the relationships he had with his his mum who'd essentially his mum didn't love him like he he was a mistake like he he wasn't he wasn't supposed to be there um the the where where he goes to empty the bins the the bedroom door won't open all the way because his bed's in the way because there's not enough room it shows you how small the house is and the mum also prioritizes the fact she gives him a sleeping bag she's like oh he doesn't need his own bed because she's spending the money on herself exactly there's there's it's a really down to earth, honest film, and like John said, like the the dialogue and stuff as well is is just the the one thing we can say about both of the films this week is that they're both they both feel really honest, and they both feel really realistic. And I, I yeah, I I completely fell in love with. It. There's as as I was was what I was saying before was that I I try and watch as many old films as I can. Um, and catch up with cinema what have i missed like what what do i need to watch and this the now and again I, I i like most of these films but now and again one will just really hit me like a freight train um the last one to do this was in a lonely place um from nicholas ray um humphrey bogart that that blew me away and that'll be a, that'll be a film on the pod at some point um i watched that film and was sat there and i was like wow like i, I it's I can still be surprised. Thank God, I can still be surprised by film from the fifties. Yeah, you, and there will always be those. And like we were saying about going to the back, I hope so. These directors, yeah, there, there will always be something you'll discover that. And also, so much of it comes down to timing. I reckon if I watch Lady of a Portrait on Fire again in four or five years, it might hit me completely differently because I Lady have... of a Portrait on Fire. I hate it that much. I don't even want to get the name right. <laughs> 
I don't even I don't like it that much that I can't even be bothered with the name lady of a portrait on fire (laughs) yeah Uh, portrait of a lady on fire go on no what I was gonna say was so many films that I watched even five six years ago longer whatever didn't hit the spot at that point and then I've rewatched them or they've come on again I've given them a second chance and then there's films that I used to hate that I now really like and it's just, I find it interesting that maybe the acceptance of like the older cinema is because one, you, as you said, like we are older and we're used to like looking back at things with a slightly slower pace or like a more character centric. And so much of like enjoying a program or a film or an album, I think is linked to like how you're feeling at that time. Because there's certain albums I listen back to now that I used to love as a kid. And I think this is absolute hot trash. I still love it for the nostalgia, but it is just essentially hot trash. But do you know what I mean? But one percent love, fifty percent. <laughs> I don't even know. Ten percent luck, twenty percent skill, fifteen percent concentrated power of will, five yeah, percent yeah. pleasure, fifty percent pain, and a hundred percent reason to remember the name. There we go. <laughs> so worth uh, one it. of Johnny's one of Johnny's fa- all time favorites. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, no, my, my point is basically there's so many films where if you watch them at the right time it can hit you differently and like the more you go through this back catalog like that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 100%. I I I do often also worry about when as I get older and when as you get older and you see more things you're like you, you're not as surprised anymore so the first time you see a certain thing, you're like, wow, this is incredible. Then the second time you see it, wow, this is good. 50th time you see it, well, like, I've seen it a million times. That's the argument for not rewatching stuff loads of times, though, I suppose. Exactly. So I get scared about watching stuff like In a Lonely Place. Like, what? So when what if I watch it like for the fifth time and I'm like, oh, it's not as good. As, I don't get that same feeling that I watched it the first time. I think films like this that are about that that again people won't watch because it's not the 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 people of today the the younger people of today they don't have the patience they want crashy bashy and we've got a boy and his life and is real life things where his mum's cheating on his dad his mum doesn't love him his mum's busy um there's there's women getting exploited in the workplace that it talks about um so he runs away and then and then all of yeah. a sudden his mum's like oh okay like come back like i tell you what look, look. and she tries to build a relationship with him she says she says do this like work hard on this essay if you do this essay well i'm going to give you a thousand francs or however much it is and he works really really hard on it and he and he's he's getting they go they go to the cinema and I think something something sets he sets he sets his he sets a picture on fire in the house and his dad just completely goes is really angry at him and then he eventually goes in with this really good essay that he's worked super hard on because he's a smart kid and we we realize how smart he is in that interview in that interview at the end we see just how clever this little boy is but the when when he's when the teacher is talking about the essay that he's done, he says he's plagiarised it and that's the last straw and that's when he does run away. And I wasn't quite sure, is that because the friend had plagiarised it off him or is it because he was too heavily inspired by the classical book? No, reading? it's because the from, from what I gathered, the teacher basically didn't believe that he'd done a piece of work. That good. good. Fine. And he'd worked really, really hard on it. Okay. Um, okay. What I would it's say... heartbreaking in a way. In defence of the audience, which Jamie said, like, bashy-bashy, 
they will grow, grow old like us and they will then start to appreciate different things. And that's that's all I have to say about that. that that's a that is a really nice because um, there's so comeback. many things like let's be honest there, there's so many films that if I'd have tried to show you 10 years ago when we first met 11 years ago you'd have just been like no to be honest and and your taste well, change as you get older then it's true though isn't it there's there's I, I've joked about it on the pub before I remember Jamie approaching me saying I have seen the best films ever made and like in this collection is basically all of those films I don't need to see anymore because I already know like there's nothing better than these and if you saw his collection at the time, it was tiny. <laughs> so, like my collection at that point, it wasn't massive. Not compared to what it is now. Is the is the comparison? I, 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 at uni, I thought I think I had about four hundred oh. DVDs. Yeah, but I, okay, I didn't see all four hundred at uni. But anyway, well, they're in the gap. Well, oh, whatever. I don't know. My, my, mostly, my point I, is, like, you, you tr- you, you, are you saying I'm small? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. He's called me I, small on a part of my, I, my podcast. I, I'm literally saying that Jamie at one point was convinced that he didn't need to watch any more films because he'd seen all the best ones that were ever made and, and that was that. Correct. And it shows Correct. how much that changed over the space of like 10 years. So if you take someone it's, who loves MCU now, in 10 years' time, it actually goes, I don't think it's that good. It was fine. It's just nostalgia from when I'm a kid. A bit like us with Star Wars to an extent. Oh, I'd love that. And, I can't and wait it to goes, rub that yeah, in it's like filthy pe- little faces. You know, when we grew up, we were like, our oh, prequels are great. And then there was an age where we went, oh. I never said that. I don't, I don't think they're right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is and a tangent. You are right. No, no. You, when you say that, I, I did used to go around saying, I've seen all the good films. It used to I crack really, me and, up as well. Because like, and then you can whack out Mortal Kombat as like an example. And I'd be like, oh dear Mortal God. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> from 1996 is fantastic so do not even um yeah i, I love that film I, and i'm un- unapologetic about it it's a great film um anyway john silver screen critiques writes in to our instagram account just like you can and he says what are your thoughts when someone says they don't make good movies anymore I don't know why I did it in a Brooklyn accent, but I just oh. felt like I had to. I just felt like they don't make them like they used to. Um, so uh, <laughs> I don't think it's true. I think th- they don't make good movies anymore. I do not think it's true. I think it depends where you're looking. I think I think also it depends what you classify as good. I think that there is an argument that box office and and we've talked about this a few times now. So sorry if we're going over the same things, but the things that make money aren't necessarily the things that are the best stuff. Like if you look at the highest grossing films last year, Venom 2, which I have not seen, but I'm pretty sure it's like one of the top grossing films of last year. The reviews for it aren't always great, are they? But it just makes a very ton- mixed on makes, Venom 2. I think. Okay. It makes a ton of money though, right? It's, it's just like, yeah, it makes, yeah, it makes money. Yeah. I'd argue, you know, we spoke about Spider-Man not last, last episode. And I think I, I think I said it was a seven out of ten, six, seven out of ten, and you know, that's made a ton, ton, ton of money. But there were Transformers films that were really bad for a long time, which made a lot of money, and they were being made solely because they made the money, not because they were good films. But as Jamie discovered, if you want to go down to the BFI collection, Criterion, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, there's plenty of stuff to go at. There's lots of independent films to go at, but also Jamie was talking about Korean cinema and like the rise of that and how many great things have come out of there. So I don't think it's true to an extent, but I also think that we are in an age now where you either love or hate a film. I think I've had a few reviews on here where I've given things like a six or a five and it's 
and I kind of really try to explain what I don't like rather than just say I hate it or I love it. And I think we're in a generation with Twitter where it's either your your team Jacob or your team Edward, right? You know, like that, <laughs> no, but that's you know that kind of like it's yeah, it's yeah, one yeah. camp or the other. And you know, if you disagree, then you can't. I'm all up for like the university course I did in film theory was all about talking through your ideas of what you didn't agree with and what you did like and didn't like and like what it meant to you which may sound a little pretentious but I just kind of think we've lost that and I think it means that certain films don't get made because people are worried that it will just be hated rather than getting a middling review and and make enough money I think that's what I'm trying to get at (laughs) I mean I think at the end of the day the reason why the film industry exists is mostly because of money. Um, the second reason why the film industry exists, and sometimes it's the first reason for most people, is that because they really want to make good films and they want to make the films that they want to make. And I, when I think as as John opened with, if someone said that when people say they don't make good movies anymore, again it depends where you look. And so, for example, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, it did ten million pounds at the box office. 10 million pounds it was made for 4.8 and it done 10 million pounds at the box office did that cover its marketing costs probably no idea just um saint maud another 2019 film like one of my favorites um definitely check that out british psychological horror um it did... done 1.4 million pounds what about the lighthouse because that's another rt one but i suppose it had um uh, Pattinson and it had um, William Defoe, so maybe did yeah. that do any better? I don't know. The Lighthouse uh, at the box office did eighteen point one million dollars. Wow. Yep. So, so when when we're talking about this, and and I guess we may as well talk about Parasite as well, um, which was Parasite is the the film of twenty nineteen. It won Best Picture. It's people consider it one of the greatest films ever made um that did 259 million pounds uh sorry 259 million dollars at the box office um so yeah like i i I think that so for me the the stuff that's in the limelight and ran down your throat isn't necessarily always the best and at this the moment the moment we are in right now we have disney controlling most things like so they control 10th 20th century fox and they control um, Marvel, Disney, uh, Pixar. So the mo- most of those films you'll see are from them. And then, and then you've got Warner Brothers as well, like releasing stuff like uh, The Matrix Re- Re- Resurrections. So I think you, you probably shouldn't be looking at the box office. Um, I, I think you what you're getting at is try and break away from the standard IPs because all those businesses run on selling an IP that you already know, an intellectual property that you already know, Star Wars, Marvel whatever yeah yeah, yeah, exactly, and, yeah and release that out and out now and i'm not if, saying if, that's wrong I'm there's not nothing wrong bad. with that i i no. i consume fast and furious mission impossible mission Look, impossible i pay to go and see them of... twice you know yeah like <laughs> yeah. I, I, i'm all for that too but if you then want something different you need to know where to look and whether that is through independent cinemas or whether that's through streaming services and being attached to certain directors or there's there's ways around it or listening to this podcast and we'll tell we'll tell you we've got many we've Always recommending you your films that you can't um, get hold of necessarily box office bangers. Yeah, films that you can't even get hold of. Like look look how niche we are and how how hipster we are. Um, but no, w- what I would say is there is people out there 
just like Martin Scorsese started off with, third time I've mentioned this podcast, he started off making films because he wanted to make films. Quentin Tarantino started making films because he wanted, and he was desperate to make films. Celine Siama makes films because she wants to make films. And most of the directors do want to do it, but sometimes we, we, we see them sell out a little bit. Like, And we could say that um, maybe Chloe Zhao has made Eternals, made her money, and now she's going to go back and doing the things that she wants to do and that she's the best at, and I can't wait to see the next thing she does. You know, like Paul Verhoeven did Starship Troopers, um, Robocop. Total Recall, Robocop. He now does like his own independent stuff. He he made his Hollywood dollars. He probably gets the backlot of the re-releases and the TV showings, and he just does what he wants now. He goes yeah. for creative freedom. So there's nothing wrong with doing your studio bit then going off and doing what you want to do. The Russo brothers, nope. to be fair to them, they've done their Marvel films. They've set up their own film studio and they're taking... Uh, they did... Um, what was the one you recommended to me? Extraction. They basically took the stunt team from some of the Marvel films. One of them became Extraction. the... Extraction? Di- I don't know. Oh, yeah. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's really, yeah. It's really good. And, and, they, and they said... I'm not saying, by the way, it's an independent film in terms of being like <laughs> no, it's not what we're talking budget. about. But my point is like they took their payday and they've set themselves up for life to do something completely different. And I think there's something to be said for being like, hey, I'm going to take this much money, then I'm going to do my own thing. And I feel like Finch is doing that to an extent now. Because he is, yeah. he's basically tied his deal with Netflix and he's they're basically giving him free reign, giving him the keys to the kingdom. Zack Snyder, yeah. his new film, um, it's like a samurai, uh, something, something Excellent. rebels. It was supposed to be a Star Wars film before Star Wars was bought out by Disney. And he basically pitched it and, and they haven't done it. And he's given it away to Netflix. Again, these aren't probably great examples in terms of like well, the budget stuff, but it's the point of directors basically being funded to do yeah. uh, more of their, what they want to do. As you're trying to say, I like yeah. what they want to do. Look at look at Upgrade. Three million pound budget. Oh. Made 17 million at the box office. Well, it's went a whole episode without mentioning Upgrade. Well, well... Go, go watch it and you'll be loving life. Right, anyway, so on to our last question of the day before we sign off and we tell you about our next episode. Big Al, big underscore Al, 14582 on Instagram, writes in, friend of the show, avid listener of the show, he writes in and he says, what got you into world cinema? Why do you think people are against subtitles? I feel like people are less against subtitles now because there's been enough popular things with it, with them, sorry, to like kind of make it not as much of a big deal. I think people previously didn't, genuinely just didn't like the idea of having to read this stuff. But in the UK, especially, we're massively into, do you remember like the Swedish noirs? Like the, um, or the, like the crime noir? No. Well, like, <laughs> like, you know, the bridge or, you know, those kind of. I don't. Oh my god! No, okay, Swedish like noir. Oh, do you mean like you don't mean? Um... But stuff like "Go with the Dragon Tattoo" is is an yeah, example yeah, of a of film course. version. But there were all these yeah. TV police procedurals, which were all like imported from from over his Scandi kind of TV shows, right? And like they were yeah. big hits on BBC, so it proved you could put it on primetime TV and people would read it and get on with it. You had the Killing, I think. There's like the original version of the Killing, I think, was uh, uh, yeah, foreign didn't see it. products. But my point is, I think. With the streaming generation, maybe that's it. Like Netflix shows like Dark. Dark was like a German show which had subtitles and stuff. I feel like we're far more open to it than we were before. 
but I would also argue this might sound dumb. It's far easier with streaming services to turn these features on and off and to have the option to have a dubbed version or a subtitle. So a lot of people who watch Parasite watched it dubbed. Well, there's a lot of localization so, now. Sorry, not the, Parasite, the local- um, Squid Game, sorry. But, but yeah. yeah, well, it's, it's, it's weird because to me it's the unnatural thing to do but to a lot of people it's the natural thing to do i guess to you to you, to your average consumer the person i and, can't and deal with the mouths being out of sync with no with dub so i'd rather trust just me, subtitle it every time yeah and, and when i say the average consumer that is the type of person that would watch squid game because that is when i mentioned it a few episodes ago the reason why it got so big was because it was it it's super popular and it's people are watching it that haven't really seen much korean cinema before um I really do think it came to a head when Bong Joon-ho came out with that statement. Um, I think it was after he won the, they won Best Picture for Parasite. Yeah. Bong Joon-ho said about the, we all need to get over the one inch barrier, which was the, the subtitles. Like, and, and again, there'll be people sitting out there, like I've heard that a million times. Yeah, you have. If you've been, but there'll be some people listening to the pod that Context never heard is that. king. The, the one-inch barrier is of, of subtitles, yeah. I mean, so th- the original question was, what got what got me into world cinema? So me personally, I really got into world cinema um, from sort of the Hong Kong kung fu films. So I, I would admit, the, I, I was trying to think earlier when I read this question, I was trying to think, what was the film, what was the first subtitled film I'd ever seen? I think it was Rumble in the Bronx, with Jackie Chan, I'm sure it's from 1996, um, but it, that that was what got me into it. it. It might have even been, and it wouldn't have even been that long ago. Um, Ong Bak um, with Tony Yar, Warrior King. The, these are Thai. I think they're Thai films. Um, so yeah, like I, Thai, yeah, they are Thai films. Sorry, they, they definitely are because he's, he's from he's in Thailand. Um, so the it was definitely those martial arts films that got me into world cinema. And then I started branching out and I watched, um, as we're on the episode of France, um, uh, Untouchable, which is uh, The Untouchable, which they actually did a remake with Brian Cranston. Just just go watch the original. It's incredible. So that is what got me into um, world cinema. And mm. as as John was mentioning about the the one inch barrier, people just don't like reading on while what people one people struggle to read two people just aren't used to it. And three, yeah, like people us white people especially love their own culture don't they because it's everywhere yeah. and we just expect everything to be english i would say like i've i've have subtitles on now for shows that i don't need subtitles on like anything that's based in america a lot of people do this i just put it on for no, like I didn't do it. it's mainly for documentaries rather than films but if it's like i love last chance you and i love cheer that kind of stuff those series i think are brilliant why do you why do you put but, them on because like one, I think sometimes you miss the context of what people are saying. So like no matter how hard you're listening, you might miss something. So if you can visually read it, then you you know what they've said. But also just because sometimes it might be accents. Like if it's deep South America, I might not fully understand the accent. Really? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Like sometimes it's that. Nice. But just just yeah. Sometimes you know. Sometimes people mumble. You know, <laughs> genuinely. Like sometimes people just mumble. Like. It's a popular acting. It's a popular acting style because it's realistic, but it's actually harder to interpret. There's a reason why mumblecore, as they call it. That's why people used to pronounce their words in older films. A lot of reasons. One, because the mics weren't as sensitive, so they had to project and make it more like a theatre performance. And that's why acting's, I would argue, better now. But it's a different style. Anyway, in terms of what got me into 
international cinema. I am not as well versed as Jamie. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. But again, I I had to through college and uni basically more so at college actually. Now I'm thinking of it. A lot of the experimental film stuff we used to watch was from from international cinema. Um, but um, yeah, I, I find it's the one inch barrier thing's not really a problem for me so much now. I probably would have been to be completely honest a few a few years ago, but now I don't know. I I think I've watched so much subtitled that it doesn't really phase me anymore. But also, I just like I feel it's disrespectful in my mind to the original actors to have the read up. And I know there's people that do good jobs of redubs or dubbing over content, but I just want to hear the original intent. And I know that's quite a pretentious thing to say, but whenever I watch anything, I want to see it. It's in, not at all, no. I want to see it in the, the original aspect well, yeah. I want to see it in the original aspect ratio. I want to see it in the original as it's intended. I want the Dolby Vision version of what what it's supposed to be. You're obsessed with Dolby Vision. I am obsessed with Dolby Vision at the moment. But yeah. Yeah, that's about it. Okay. Excellent. So that is that is all of the questions. John, I'm going to let you choose the next topic of the next episode. So the choices are these. You've got female directed. You have high octane thrill ride. You have obsession. You have never giving up. Or you have what is reality. You get to choose one of those one of those topics so let me just i'll quickly quickly go down again yeah go for it right female directed high octane free ride obsession never giving up or what is reality which is the next what's the next episode john never gonna give you up never gonna let you down yes you just all been rick rolled right okay so episode 30 a grand 30 can you believe it? Um, so the next episode is going to be Never Given Up. The films we are doing, you can all go and watch them. We're going to do Apollo 13, which I've never seen. How have you never seen that film? Uh, I don't know. That was, I don't, <laughs> I've not seen that film in years, but that used to be one. I've, I've watched that with my dad many times. You would like I'm, I'm Yeah, you're going to like Ron Howard, I think. I, don't know who, I know Tom Hanks is in it, but I don't know who directed it. Um, and... We're going to pair it with Happy Gilmore. I am so excited because Happy Gilmore... Never seen it. Oh. <laughs> well, it's good. Go- it's good for the pod, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We- I've never seen Apollo 13. You've never seen Happy Gilmore. Is Happy Gilmore going to be a situation just like Big Lebowski where you overhype it and then I watch it and end up being like, I don't like it, and then you get really upset? I think we're going to watch Happy Gilmore together. Can we do that? I, yes, we can it's, now. It's it's peak Adam Sandler. I just it's one of the greatest comedies ever made, in my opinion, and I'm so so excited. So yeah, and and I can quote it from start to finish. So if you don't like it, I'll, I'll be way more hurt than when you didn't like Big Lebowski. Okay, we'll see. So, Never Given Up, Apollo 13, Happy Gilmore. That's going to be episode 30. I've been at Movies in a Nutshell. John has been at jcb.video. And don't forget, you can always rate us on Apple Podcasts. We only accept five stars. And Spotify now, can't we? And Spotify. We only accept five stars. If you're going to give us any less than five stars, please do not bother. We don't want your feedback because the, ep- the, the podcast's perfect. See you next time, I guess. <laughs>